0: In Matthew chapter 6, we've begun looking at a portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that I would call the secret place. We started this last week talking about our charitable deeds, our giving, our helping those in need. and We talked about how there were hypocrites who made sure that they got attention for all of this. They were not satisfied doing a work of righteousness if they were not getting some sort of credit for it. If they were not praised or seen as being a great and powerful person, a just wonderful person, if it didn't benefit them in some way, what's the point of being charitable? What's the point of doing good if nobody knows about it? This is hypocrisy. Doing some, Giving the appearance of something that is not true on the inside. Looking like this good, charitable person. When deep down inside, we're just ugly. We're not good. We're not charitable. We just want to gain for ourselves. Even if it's just status. Even if it's just getting people to like us. It's for us. And Jesus said of these people, they've received their reward. You do this because you want praise? Well, when you receive praise, you got your reward. You got what you're looking for, but you have nothing with God. You have absolutely nothing before God. We talked about how this is actually charitable, charitable deeds, charity, goodness, generosity. These are actually something that's supposed to be done in secret. This is supposed to be a secret place. A place where we're actually just communing with God. Where we are the hands and the feet of God. And nobody else, as possible, should even know about it. He says, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Then, you will have a reward with the Father. When it is simply for the glory of God and the good of that person in need. When it's in secret, the secret place of your life. Something that's not open for everybody to see your goodness. But only that the goodness of God is wrought forth in the world. And the glory from the world is lifted up to the Lord God. And today we're looking at at the second portion of our secret place that Jesus leads us to. He says in verse 5, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets so that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to the Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, have you ever felt like your prayers are getting no higher than the ceiling in the room that you're in? Have you ever felt that way? I have. i felt that way. In fact, there was one writer, I can't remember his name, who said um, that he suspects that one in a hundred prayers never are really done to God himself. 99 out of a 100 of our prayers are done for us or for those that we are among. When we pray in church, there's a portion of that intent in that person who's praying, who is trying to appeal to those around him. When we, even when we pray in secret, there's a portion of our soul that is simply just being selfish. It is simply just praying to his own self in his mind, rather than actually focusing on the Lord himself. If we've ever felt like our prayers are getting no higher than the ceiling, it is not because the Lord has not come to us. Because the Lord is there. It is not His fault that we are just in silence without the presence of God. Perhaps prayer is where we actually, most obviously, observe our own insincerity and self centeredness. This should be a place, this secret place of prayer where we share the deepest intimacy with God. Just you and Him, in your secret place, communing together. But yet, how hardly for some of us does it actually feel like communing? How hardly does it actually feel like we're in His presence, actually talking to Him in the Spirit? In the name of Jesus Christ, how hardly do our prayers really seem more than just words that we know we should do, speak, in our heads. And as I said, perhaps prayer is where we most obviously observe our own insincerity. And, I, and because this is a secret place thing, I don't know your prayer lives. I'm not there in your secret place in the room where you've shut your door to pray. I don't even know if you do pray. I'm not there. You don't even know that I pray. (laughs) You're not there. (laughs) And in a way, so it should be, because that's kind of the nature of the secret place. It's secret. It's not something that's flaunted, that we write books about, hey, I'm going to write you a pamphlet about how my prayer life goes. And I'm going to give it to each member in the church. That's not the way it's supposed to be. He says, Jesus says in Matthew 6, 5, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, so that they may be seen by men. In Acts chapter 3, verse 1, We'll just read that verse real quick. He says, "Now Peter and John went together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour." There were times back then. This is not really how things work in our society, at least for at least within Christendom. We don't have hours of prayer. In Acts three one, it shows us that in that society they had an hour of prayer where the people went to the the temple or the synagogue or wherever it was that they were supposed to commune, and they would go and they would pray at the hour of prayer. And these hypocrites, they would go, and they would make sure that they were in a prominent position within the temple, within the synagogue, or on a street corner facing towards Jerusalem. And they would perhaps put out a soapbox, (laughs) so to speak, and get up on that soapbox so that they could be seen and heard. And they would shout out loudly on this street corner within the temple so that everybody could hear them. And they would pray eloquent prayers. They would wax eloquently in front of the people to show the people just how close they were to God. Just how beautiful their prayers were. How impressive they were. They would put on a show. And we discussed last week that one of the ways you could talk about hypocrisy is that hypocrisy, hypocriti, hi, hi, was actually a word used for actors. An actor would be a hypocrite in a non derogatory way of using the word. And these people, these hypocrites, would be acting. They, it was, it's as though they would set up a stage. He would walk onto their platform, get into the limelight, to see that everybody would be able to recognize this person. When they started praying, the eyes turned to them because they were loud and they were eloquent. They weren't praying to God. There was nothing secret about this. This is not necessarily saying we should not have public prayer. But not as the hypocrites do. In fact, the Bible does tell us that we should gather together to pray. But not like this. Not like the hypocrites who are just doing it to fulfill some sort of ambition within themselves. It's the hour of prayer. It's my time to shine. It's my time to be seen by men. And he says, don't do it to be seen by men. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now, what would be the implication there about those who don't do it to be seen by men? Again, we talked about this in more detail last week. But when we are intimately involved in a relationship with God, we receive from Him. We are blessed by Him. The word here used as reward, it's not necessarily as though he's just going to give you a prize. Alright, had, we had a good time of prayer, come to the prize bucket and pick out a little something for yourself. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about you will be blessed, you will receive from God blessing. In a way that no man can give. That no man can give they love you know these other hypocrites they love to pray standing in the synagogues on the corners of the streets and that they may be seen by men I surely I say to you they have their reward they have their reward you wanted to be seen okay you were seen now go home that's all you get go back to your life but you when you pray go into your room and when you have shut your door See, when you have gone into your room by yourself, shut your door. Don't even let the door be open so that the people in the next room could hear you. This is a similar concept to don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Shut off the medium through which anybody else could see or hear the secret place, this intimacy that you're having with God. I'm going to have a couple of illustrations from David Brainerd today. I've been reading through him and reading through his life a little bit. And at the end of his life, he died at 29 from tuberculosis, very young. And he had written journals and journals and journals about his, his prayers, his thoughts, his desires for the, the Native Americans that he was ministering to. And in his last days, he was living with Jonathan Edwards, which most, most of us are... are familiar with, the most, one of the most um, prominent preachers of that day, Jonathan Edwards was taking care of David Brainerd in his last days. And Brainerd told Edwards, after I'm dead, burn all of my journals, burn them all. I don't want anybody to read them. Those were his secret place. That's where he communed with God through his journals. That was not open for people to see. That was not open for anybody else. This was him and God. Jonathan Edwards ultimately ended up talking him out of that, um, which may or may not have, you know, been okay. But you know, that's up to them. Who am I to judge Jonathan Edwards and David Brainerd? <laughs> um, you know, and many people have been blessed from reading his journals that were published. You can pick those up. You can look for those online and read his journals. But just to see the heart there, that this place where David Brainerd was communing with God his, through his journals, that was not for anybody. He did not want anybody else to be part of that. That was not the intention of those things. And in a, in a sense, Jesus is telling us, go into a secluded room and shut a door. Don't let there be any way for anybody else in your household to know what you're doing or what you're praying This is your secret place with God. Do we have a secret place? Perhaps it's a room. Perhaps it's a time of the day when nobody else is around. But do we have a secret place where there is nobody that's going to be there to observe your godliness? To... Kristen's smiling. (laughs) Because the kids are always around. (laughs) But is there a time or a place for you where you go and you are intimate with God so that nobody else will see and praise you or or gain a profile of you because of your prayer life? No, this is our place with God. This is our secret place with God. This is not a time for the public to profile you, not even our family members. This is not a time to be profiled. This is a time for us to commune with God. This is a time for intimacy with God that we don't get for the majority of the day. Because we're doing business, we're interacting, we're communing with other people, which are good things to do. But do we have the secret place where we commune only with God? Just Him and you or nobody else? can enter into that. I mean, have you ever been reading a book and you're into the book and you're, you're just into the storyline and then somebody walks in the room asking you a question? <laughs> interrupting your train of thought. Interrupting the imagination as it's going through this, this novel or whatever it is. Or maybe you're learning something. And they interrupt this train of thought this is why me and Kristen can't really read together, because we're always saying, hey, listen to this. Hey, look at that. <laughs> well, mostly me. <laughs> Kristen keeps saying, stop it. <laughs> I'm trying to read. <laughs> you know, but have you ever had that? Somebody like me in your life. <laughs> <laughs> who's just there to interrupt this train of thought, this imagination, this immersion into this, this book you're reading or whatever it is that you're doing that you really need to focus That's why we need a secret place in our prayer because this is a time where we're communing with God. We're focusing on God. We're involved just intimately in a relationship with Him. And then somebody walks in and interrupts it all and you, you get thrown out. That's why we need a secret place or a secret time where there's not going to be an interruption. Obviously you can't control the world and everything around it. You'll be interrupted from time to time. But it's important for us to have the secrecy in our prayer life. Because this, in addition to the other two things, the charitable deeds, prayer, and we'll look at next week fasting, these are things that God has given us to be intimate with Him. To receive blessing from God. Not man. Hypocrisy seeks the blessing from man. The the hypocrite seeks the reward from those around him on this earth. But the sincere person, in his or her simplicity, seeks only blessing from above. Gives no value to what is beneath. No value. In fact, I told you I'd have a couple illustrations about David Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards wrote about these last few months of his life that, he was, that Brainerd was living with him and he recounted the public prayers that Brainerd would engage in when they would gather, when Brainerd would join the family in, in devotional time or at the, at the meal and Brainerd would pray for the meal. Brainerd never actually prayed for earthly things. He was deathly ill But he never prayed to get better. He only prayed that this illness would not come between him and God. He only prayed that this illness would not distract him from the needs around, the spiritual needs of himself and those around him. He prayed that this illness would not make him angry or impatient with those around him. He would not pray to be better because to be better would be be to prolong the absence from the presence of the Lord. Good health is the one thing standing between us and the presence of the Father. Why would he pray to be better? So he wouldn't pray for his health. He didn't want to be healthy. He wanted to be in the presence of God. Why would he pray for health to keep him from the presence of God? And he wouldn't pray for him. He wouldn't pray, you know, as, as we often do, God bless this meal to our bodies. He wouldn't pray such He would be praying for the missionaries around during during this prayer for the mealtime. It would just be a time to pray for the missionaries, pray for those in need, to thank God for doing what He already said that He would do in giving us our daily bread. But He would not pray for the flesh. He would only pray for that which had spiritual implication. And as Jonathan Edwards recounted, these things were not he could tell that these things were not as we can often tell when people pray. It's clearly people are trying to make up something that sounds nice. And, but there are some people where you can tell this is sincere. This is not just a prayer that's forced because he've been, we've been asked to pray. This is an extension of his secret place. In the secret place, you have this huge gathering of intimate prayers with God and in public you can tell that this public prayer is just an extension of that. It's just a momentary a benefit from the intimacy that this person has shared behind the scenes in their secret place for some time. When we pray, we will pray in public from time to time. We will pray as a group every Wednesday. We have a time where we pray together. But that should not be our deepest and most meaningful prayer time. That's not our secret place. That's where we're communing together, where we're coming in one mind of Christ together as a body to pray for the needs among us and around us. It's a communion with man and God, but in our secret place. This should be bursting to the seams with prayer, with intimacy with delight, with joy that nobody else knows about. The only proof is the, these little interim moments where we are in prayer and we're at, we are in public and we're asked to pray. To beseech the Lord with our petitions for the sake of His name, for the sake of His glory. Not a time to wax eloquent or to show off but simply to emerge from the secret place for a moment, for a spell, and to pray for the sakes of those around us. The secret place. This is where we receive the blessing from God. As we see in verse 6, the Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Sometimes that happens in the eye of man, not at the intent of men, not the intent of self, but sometimes the Lord gives you that influence, but openly more or less suggests at the resurrection of the saints, where you stand before the Lord and He recounts your faithfulness to Him. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter now into the joy of your salvation And he proclaims this among the multitude of saints that have already gone before us. Do we live for today? Does that sound depressing to you? (laughs) If all of the recognition is stored up for the hereafter. I want some recognition now. I want people to see me now. I don't want to be rewarded then. I want to be rewarded now. Carnality of mind. That is. Hypocrisy is what that is. I want to benefit from some of this now. What's the point of being so good if nobody knows about it? <laughs> being so faithful if nobody sees it. And passages like this just make me think, you know, in the in the eternal kingdom, there is... Evidence in Scripture to show that there will be people who rule over other people. And I bet that those people who are in higher positions are people we've never heard of. People who were just faithful among few. Who just sought the glory of God and nothing else. Who loved the secret place. They would rather be in the secret place than among the populace. Nobody ever heard of them. They never wrote any books. They never pushed their name out anywhere. They were never seen by men. They they had blessed others. Certainly they blessed others. But these people, they saw to it that they remained in the secret place. Not in the public eye. And these people we'll see in heaven, we'll know them. Because the Lord will give us knowledge. But we will have never known them while we lived. Because they loved the secret place. That's where their best self was. Reserved for that place with God alone. You know, when, when Solomon became king, it is said that he offered thousands of burnt offerings on the altar of sacrifice to his God. Thousands! I mean, we live in a farming community here. Can you imagine sacrificing thousands of animals to God. These sacrifices are of no benefit to anybody. Because they're burnt up. Can you imagine that? They're no benefit to you. They're no benefit to the people around you. You could have given. Just like Judas said. You could have sold that. And given the money to the poor. <laughs> but what did Jesus, G- Jesus said about that woman. She's going to be remembered. <laughs> for what she did. She poured out an entire year's worth of salary in this perfume on Jesus' feet. She's going to be remembered for that. She could have sold that and given it to the poor, like Judas suggested. And that's, that's more of a reasonable transaction in our Excel spreadsheet mindsets. What benefits the most? What produces the most good? And we can get trapped in the profitability Of ministry. Of life. But what was this woman remembered for? Her sacrifice to Jesus. Dead devoting something. Yeah, it could have helped many poor. But she was more concerned about Jesus. She loved Jesus. Solomon, with those thousands of cattle, sheep. He could have served thousands He could have really helped the people if he would have just given it to them. And how much more would those thousands of cattle have produced over time? (laughs) But it wasn't a transaction to him. This was for God. This was for God. You can't put that in a spreadsheet. The secret place is where we should live and breathe. That's where we should have our most wonderful moments. This is where we should perhaps be the most eloquent, not before people, but with God, as He rains down His Spirit upon you. This is perhaps where we can see the the deepest and most wonderful wisdom in this secret place from above. Yet that wisdom never touches any, perhaps may not touch anybody else. Why? Because it was in a secret place. What's the use? Why do you ask? Carnal minded person. The use? No. No, not the use. Oh God. Oh, I'm with God. The sincere, simple person states, I'm with God. That's all I want. I have received the joy from above. <clears throat> and he says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard, for their many words. This immediately reminds me of 1 Kings 18, if you'd like to turn there with me. 1 Kings 18. Perhaps this popped into your head as well. 1 Kings 18, starting in verse 26. And in this story, Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal. And he's given them an ultimatum. We're going to set up some altars. And if Baal calls down fire at your prayers, then worship Baal. But if Jehovah calls down fire, Yahweh, then worship him. In verse 26 says, So they, the prophets of Baal, took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it, and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us! But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them, and said, Cry loud, for he is a God. Either he is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances, until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the sacrifice. But there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. You see the picture of these people just... Going on and on and on for hours, praying and praying and praying and praying, and bruising and cutting themselves and mutilating themselves, crying aloud, making a fuss, making causing a ruckus. You could have probably heard these going on for miles, because there were hundreds of prophets doing this of Baal. No answer. They thought because of their many words, because of their much sacrifice, that they would be heard. But as we know, Baal is no God. Elijah knew this as well. But how many of us pray to God like like He's Baal? Not getting anything. There's no connection. Cry louder. Go longer. Sacrifice something. Hurt yourself. So that you could be heard, because maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he's busy with somebody else, and you just need to be louder. You just need to pray more. How many of us treat God like he's Baal in this passage? Like he's just not listening to you. Like he doesn't know what you're asking. But Jesus follows it up and he says, Therefore, in Matthew 6, 8, he says, Therefore, do not keep your finger in First Kings if you're interested. Therefore do not be like them, for your father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. And we read the prayer of Elijah in this passage. Elijah said to all the people in verse 30, again this is 1 Kings 18 verse 30. Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. Why did he call them to come near? Elijah wasn't going to make a fuss. They weren't going to be able to hear him if they were far away. He wasn't going to be praying aloud and long and making a fuss. Come near. Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That was because of the prophets of Baal and all of their rioting. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sias of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. Now, why would he do these things? If he, didn't, if he wasn't certain that God was there listening in this. This is only done by somebody who is absolutely certain that God is there listening. He's right there. He's making it hard for this to be burnt. Because he knew he, who he was praying to. And he knew that the one he was praying to knew him and what was going on he did he wasn't worried that he would have to wake him up or instigate or stimulate the power of god through the right words and he says in verse 36 and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that elijah the prophet came near and said lord god of abraham isaac and israel let it be known this day that you are god in israel and i am your servant And I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell. Short prayer. We don't even pray that short for dinner. (laughs) Sometimes. Short prayer. Prayer full of faith. Full of glory. He was praying this on behalf of God and his glory and for his people. He wasn't praying, Lord, I really don't want to make a fool of myself right now (laughs) among these people. What are we going to do if no fire comes from either God? He wasn't praying for his own image. He wasn't praying according to his own power. He was praying according to the power of God, for the glory of God, for the good of God's people. That was his prayer. Short, two, two verses. Jesus says, do not be like the heathen. The heathen who use vain repetitions, thinking that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. Do we come to God like we're informing Him? Do we come to God as though we have to stimulate His interest in us? If we just... Put the right word order out in front of God. He'll understand the real need. If we just try to say it better, more spiritually sounding, then God will, oh yeah, I never thought of that before. I guess I will provide this for you. Or do we pray to a God knowing that He already knows. He already knows what you need. You don't have to convince Him. In fact, He knows what you need better than you know what you need. Because we we pray for silly things, don't we? We pray for things, not like Elijah did, we pray for things that we want to enjoy. We, We pray for things that we would consider our earthly reward, our earthly goodness, earthly pleasures and desires and comforts. Because we just want to be happy. That's really our goal in life, we just want to be happy. Healthy, happy, and rich. That's what we want to be. And you can bring hordes of people into a church preaching. If you follow Jesus, He'll make you healthy, happy, and rich. Why? Because that's what appeals to people. That's what we already want. To be happy, healthy, happy, and rich. I know. <laughs> right. But that's not what we need. The Bible says God already knows what you need before you ask Him. You don't even know what you need before you ask Him. That's why He tells us in verse 9, in this manner, therefore, therefore, because your Father already knows what you need before you ask Him, you start out by saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to align ourselves with the will of God. Something that I'm personally trying to say more and more often is, if the Lord wills, because the Bible actually tells us to say that. Rather than just assuming that we're going to do this or that because we have the power to live out our life. Or no, rather, we will do this or that if the Lord wills. We must constantly be in pursuit of aligning ourselves with the will of God. The will of knowledge of God. The kingdom of God. Then we will know what we need. Then we will ask for those things that the Lord is already intending to give us. But yet you have not because you ask not. Or you ask so that you can spend it on your pleasures. This is why our, many times our prayers don't go past the ceiling. Because we're, not, we're praying for stupid stuff. That doesn't last beyond today. We're not alig- we have no interest in aligning ourselves with the will of God. We're more interested in God aligning himself with our will. That's why we don't see answers to prayer. Because we're not interested in God's will. We just want God to be interested in our will. That's why we end up praying over and over and over and over again for all these things and all these things and all these things only to feel like we just aren't being heard. God's hearing you. You're just praying for something that's not actually going to satisfy you. You're praying, it's like you're asking a neighbor to come help you dig a well where there is no water. It's not going to satisfy. It's not going to bear any fruit. Hey Kirk, would you come over to my house and bring a shovel? We're going to dig a well 50 feet down. Even though I know there's no water down there, (laughs) let's just just do it for fun. Sound good? Are you going to come? <laughs> right, and you know, sometimes God answers those prayers so that we can see that we're praying amiss, so that we can see that that's not that's that's not satisfying, so we can learn to pray according to the will of God, so that we can trust the fact that God really does know what you need and what will bring you satisfaction. So when we pray, I'm not going to get into this whole Lord's Prayer. He says, In this manner, therefore, because your Father knows what you need, pray like this, our Father in Heaven. Father. The Jews were not used to hearing Father. It was mentioned, you know, God is called Father a few times in the Old Testament, but it is not the predominant image of God in the Old Testament. Father. The One who has has bore us. The one whose job it is to sustain and support us. Without you, we don't even exist. O Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, holy, separate, distinct. Your kingdom come. Rather than, can you make my kingdom better? Can you just... Make it more flashy and more comfortable. No, your kingdom come. Your will be done. God, can you just do what I want for once? (laughs) No, you do what he wants for once. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. May this here, as much as I have anything to do with it, look like it is up there. Where you speak and the angels go. You open your voice and it is created. Your will be done just on earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray this, when this is regular in our lives, constantly being brought into greater intimacy with our God, as we are aligning ourselves with His will, His kingdom. And then, he goes on throughout the rest of this, praying for us, but in a way that we know that God has already promised. We know that in, in Proverbs 30, verse 8, as Brother Rich read before I, before I came up here, Proverbs 30, verse 8, Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Meaning, I mean, this is is the statement of the heart of the rich, is it not? That's why rarely does a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Because the rich says, who is the Lord? Why do I need him? What's so good about God? I'm fine. Or lest I be poor... And steal and profane the name of the Lord my God. But what is the, uh, what is the uh, middle ground there? He says, feed me with the food allotted to me. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse Matthew 6.11. Give us to this day our daily bread. Again, referencing, if we want to keep looking into this, manna life. Where God said to the children of Israel in the wilderness... I'm going to send down manna from heaven. I'm going to give you just enough for the day. If you gather more, it'll fizzle away. If you gather less, you'll still have enough. doesn't matter how much you gather, you're going to have enough. And then Solomon echoes that by saying, give me the food that's allotted to me, my allotment for the day, that you, Lord, have allotted to me. God has a will concerning your food. Did you know that? God has a will concerning your food. Solomon is testifying to it give it the food that's allotted to me. We don't like to think of ourselves being in being subjected to rations. That suggests poverty. That suggests that things are not going well. But Jesus is telling us, pray like this, give us our daily bread. Give us our daily allotment. Give us our ration. And you know that you have an allotment, see? So you don't have to worry about it. You know you have an allotment because you know that God knows you and knows your needs. So you're praying for something that you already know is coming. We can go on and on, but time will not allow. But here we, we don't pray for extravagance. We don't pray for excess. I mean, that's our nation, right? If it's not in excess, then it's not enough. I'm poor if I don't have excess. That's often what we see in our prayers. We may be the sickest nation among first world countries, but we're still pretty healthy concerning when you consider how things were in medieval times and other periods of life, even the day of Jesus, where you got sick. Well, there's nothing there's not a whole lot we can do about it. God knows what you need. God knows who you are. He knows you. And as we read, as I read earlier to open the service, I don't have to, Jesus says, I don't have to pray for you because the Father loves you. The Father Himself loves you. He wants to hear from you. You don't have to pray through a saint. You don't have to pray through Mary. You don't even have to pray through Jesus doesn't even have to pray on your behalf. The Father himself loves you. He knows you. He wants you to just come to him. Cuz he's your Father. You don't have to work or do any workarounds. God wants to be part of your secret place. Not pushed to a side, not stuck in a corner where sometimes you get to it, sometimes you don't. One of those low-priority items that you get to whenever you feel like it. You know, in an occupation, your manager helps you, Help will help you prioritize. And there are some things where you just know, this is not a priority, I'll get to it sometime this week. While I work on these other hot priority items that have the flame of fire above it. Or the red flag. I'll get, I'll, I'll get to the low priority item later. And sometimes we, just, we don't even flag this secret place. It's not a priority. We'll get to it whenever I remember. Whenever I think about it. It's not a priority. God wants to be in your secret place. If God wants to be with you. The Creator of the universe wants to be with you. He wants you to talk to Him. How can that not be a priority? And I'm preaching to myself as well because I get distracted. I lose sight of God's priorities. And I must repent continually. If Satan will defeat you, he will start by taking down the walls of Jericho of prayer. So that he can just ravish you. Prayer is where you fellowship with God and are stabilized by God. Protected by God. We cannot make it a low priority. When When prayer is not part of our lives, then we can conclude that we are how can I say it, too into the earth. The earth is too important to us when we have no secret place with God where we are intimate with Him. Because prayer, perhaps above all things, is the place where nobody else is really being profited as people consider profit. But you're fellowshipping with God. And to the person who is awake in his spirit will value that more than anything else. A person whose spirit is confined, suppressed, he will not pray. She will not pray. This is one thing that I've seen in my 32 years of life. Because that's what happens when I don't pray. It's because I'm too into everything that's going on. And we must repent. Repent. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you that you are so interested in us. I thank you that you are so interested in me. I pray that this would not become old news. Lord, help us to see your priorities. Lord, give us a secret place Establish this for us. You will establish it for us, for this is what you want. We know you want this. This is not a carnal desire. Or give us a secret place, so we might dwell with you, abide with you in Christ. Lord, you love us far more than we deserve. far more than we can imagine and i just pray lord that you would enlarge our spirit to love you far more than we ever imagined we could have or convert our soul so that we might be like you in jesus name amen